59 in your pew Bibles. And we're going to be reading from 1 Corinthians, chapter 12, beginning at verse 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptised by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. And so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Great, well, I'd love you to have that uh, open, page 1089, Paul's uh, letter to the Corinthians, a short word of prayer before we tuck into another image in the New Testament of the church as the body. Father, a kind of familiar image anyway, we can quickly access it in our mind's eye, we all have one. And so we want to work at supplying what we know of the body, our physical body, to what we see around, the spiritual body that you are creating and forming and living in and working through. Uh, teach us, inspire us, help us, challenge us 
grow us for your glory. Amen. Amen. If you're regulars, you'll know we're working through a, a series this term on different images of the church, uh, not the building, but of people, people called by God and professing such, recognizing who Jesus really is and uh, living in the authority that God in Christ by his spirit gives us to roll out heaven on earth, if you like, to release what is released in heaven on earth, to bind up what is bound in heaven, to bind up on earth, so that God's kingdom is rolled out through the church and his name is glorified. And we've looked at different images, the bride, the church is something of beauty in God's eyes. Uh, we've looked at family, how we relate one to another. There's, there's, a, there's a major story into which we're birthed and out of which we live. Here we are. So this week, next week, H is going to be speaking. Uh, but this week, I want to start on the body. She'll take it up uh, next week. Verse 12, chapter 12, 1 Corinthians. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. The body is a unit, but its, it, it, its unit is made up of many, many parts. There's diversity in the one body, Paul says. And then, by way of emphasis, he, he says the same thing from another angle. He says that though all its parts are many, they form one body. In other words, there's unity of the many parts. Diversity in the one body, unity in the many, many parts. And so it is with Christ. By which he means Christ's body, the church, us. There's a unity, but clearly there's a diversity. And those two are needed in order for us to understand the church and to understand what God is calling us to do within the church, how we're to play our part. We need to understand unity. We need to understand diversity. And the context is actually the manifestation of the Spirit. Look at the start of the chapter, chapter 12. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. So what he's teaching the Corinthian church is about um, spiritual gifts and actually spiritual people. Look at verse 7. We just before our reading, top of the page. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Paul's expectation in any body that he visits, by body, I mean any church gathering, the body of Christ, his expectation is that there will be some kind of manifestation, it will be obvious in some way, of the Spirit. Not so that people can parade their gifts like trophies, but so that they can use them like tools for the sake of the whole body. If it was a sporting analogy, Paul might say, think of the team. You're playing for the team. You need to play your part. Defender, attacker, midfield, whatever. But in order that you can service the team. That's the context. Life in the spirit, spiritual gifts so that we might be united through our diversity. You see, Paul has come to see in his Damascus Road experience, his uh, discipling with uh, some of the disciples, he talks about that in the, the letter, Galatians, letter to the Galatians, 
as he's been schooled in this brand new way of thinking, Paul has come to see that as every member of the church exercises his or her diverse gifts, they work towards a common goal. And in working towards that common goal, unity is born. This is actually something that the, uh, the great minds at the time knew and, and wrote much about. Cicero, for example, the Roman writer, he talks about the essence of true friendship, true companionship, true love, we might say, as being focused on some other goal or vision or purpose. True friendship, he says, true companionship is not found if I was to ask you, you know, do you love me or do you like me? Rather, true friendship is found when I say to someone else, do you and I share the same truth? Or are you and I journeying towards the same goal? And it's in the mutual hunger for truth or in the mutual journeying towards a goal that we discover our friendship. And, and, and the friendship is made. In other words... A unity is born through the need for diversity. I need another, unlike me, so that with the other, unlike me, I can work towards a common goal. And Paul is realizing this is the essence of the church. The common goal is to glorify God, to make him look good, that others may recognize what the character and the personality of God looks like on earth. What does God's kingdom look like? Well, I'll look at this strange collection of people, the church, and actually I'll see in the quality of their relationships exactly what God's kingdom looks like, what heaven looks like on earth. Not as they focus on each other, but as they focus on that. But in focusing on that, heaven on earth, strangely, they are bonded together. It's, it's a mystery, Paul described elsewhere. But that mystery is the working and the outworking, the manifestation of the Spirit in individual believers and as they come together to form the church or the body. So having stressed unity in verse 13, for we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, radically different people groups, slave or free, living under the same house but with very different rights and responsibilities. Totally diverse people groups and yet we come together to form one body. So the body is not made up of one part. Oh, sorry, we, sorry, but end of verse 13. We were all given the one spirit to drink. And having stressed the unity, he then goes on, verse 14, so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. He stresses the diversity. The body of Christ, unified through its diversity. And so these next two little paragraphs, verses 15 to 20 and 21 through to 26, essentially Paul is saying, guard against the preoccupation of self. Either, in the first paragraph, that you should think yourself unworthy, you don't belong. So, you see verse 15. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. True unity comes when each individual part recognizes they belong. 
We haven't got true unity, Paul says, if there are individual parts of a body that say, well, I'm not sure I really belong here. I, I look at other people and, and, and I, I don't think I really fit. They don't need me. Paul wants to guard against that kind of preoccupation with self, but equally, he wants to guard against a preoccupation with others. So verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Guard against a sort of arrogance, sort of pride. Every part is vital to diversity bringing to unity. No part can say of another, you don't belong. We don't need you. They are all vital for the sake of the whole, for the vision of the whole, for what the whole body was called to do. Now let's try and illustrate this with our own body, or my body. Um, let me ask you, what am I doing now? I'll do it again. I'm having a drink, I'm drinking. That's what I'm doing, I'm having a drink. But actually, let's break it down. What I'm actually doing is I'm exercising my bicep and my tricep as I lift my arm towards my mouth. That movement there, I'll just put the glass down, save an accident. That movement there, I'm exercising two diverse muscle groups. My bicep and my tricep are working in opposition. They're, they're working antagonistically to each other. They're diverse, although they're both muscle groups. They're actually diverse in their operation. And it's their diversity working against each other that enables the arm to move so that you all say, I'm having a drink. You don't say, oh, individual muscle groups are sort of working. You, you kind of sort of assume that or recognize that. The individual parts are working in opposition to each other in order to bring about a unified whole. You say, I'm having a drink. Paul talks about the eye. Let's think about the eye for a moment. There are the, um, what, what does Paul call them? The respectable parts. The, port, the parts we, we tend to think we, we treat wonderfully, uh, like our eyelashes. Ladies, don't you have those little brushes and you sort of do things and make your eyelashes look even more beautiful than they already are. And eyeliner on the rim of the eye. Uh, and uh, so the lids, the eyelids are vital. And the eyebrows have an important part. They, they protect the eye from sweat and dirt and stuff getting into the eyes, as does the eyelash. And you have the lens and the cornea and the pupil. And we see all those things. And those things all need to be healthy and working if the eye is to function properly. There's the retina, which we don't see. And the cone cells and rod cells. Cone cells are the things that pick out the broad spectrum of light. Rod cells, there's something like 120,000 of them in each eye. And they help us to detect the different uh, spectrums of color. So that we can pick out light and color through the cells. But none, even if all of those work well, if the optic nerve was damaged that takes all those messages from the eye to the brain, we wouldn't be able to see. And actually the brain receives the image off the back of the retina through the optic nerve, upside down and back to front. So the brain has to work hard to process what the eye receives so that we can see. All of those different parts in the eye, which itself is just a part of the body, in order that we say, I see. 
We don't say, my eye can see. I can see. You see, the eye and all the different parts work towards the vision of the whole. Similarly, we don't say, my head has an ache. We say, I have a headache. Because all the different constituent parts of the body, in all their wonderful diversity, work towards the whole. God's intention for the body of Christ is that every single person in their wonderful, unique, diverse ways should contribute to the whole. Not so you lose yourself. The cornea of my eye and the rod cells in my eye and the optic nerve in my eye are all vital. I need them to play their full part. But their full part, the fullness of what those individual parts are, is only fully realized in relation to the whole. There's no point you taking out my optic nerve and laying it on the table and saying, Tim's optic nerve is wonderful and perfect. Because <laughs> it's useless if you take it out of the body. I won't be able to see. Paul wants to say through this, in effect, you are who you are in Christ. As he lives in you by his spirit. Did you notice... Uh, no, we didn't have it read just before. Um, where is it? About uh, being filled with the Spirit and drinking from the Spirit. Uh, it's earlier on in the chapter. Verse 13. Oh, it is there. So I'm so sorry. You're quite right. It is in the bit that we have. Thank you, Josephine. Uh, the end of verse 13. Um, For we were all baptized by one spirit, so it's form one body, Jew, Gentile, slave, free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. The spirit is the lifeblood of this body, coursing through every single aspect of it. And we become more fully who we are as we allow God's spirit to live in us and as we seek to join ourselves one to another in order for the body to function. It's a wonderful image. It's a challenging image body of Christ, the diversity of the church, accomplishes the unified goal of God in Jesus Christ. Diversity, unity. So I think about what we're about here. As we gather as church here, it might have been we gather as church on a Tuesday, or we gather as church midweek, or uh, Tuesday morning, Mumbies, or Friday morning, the, the, there's a women's house group. There's all sorts of ways in which we'll gather. We'll gather on a Saturday, uh, near Saturday week outside there, and we will be church, different gifts coming to the fore. But let's think about just this morning, all the different elements. Right now, there are people exercising gifts of teaching, love and care with the children and the creche. In a few moments, we're going to partake of other people's gift of, of hospitality and welcome, and uh, when they serve the refreshments. Uh, there are technical gifts right now. You can hear me via the sound system because the guys are on the sound system. There are people who've welcomed. There's people who've uh, midweek been working on the service sheet and the notices. There are hundreds of myriad ways in which what's being rolled out now has been contributed to by different parts of the body, all playing their part, all working hard. It's wonderful. It's a privilege to be a part of it. The body of Christ at work. But let's just tease out, let me tease out briefly, three uh, little headings that, that 
just help us to work at a real, genuine understanding of unity and diversity. And kind of, let's work out what they're not. Number one, unity is not uniformity. Unity is not uniformity. When we arrive to a, a group of people for the first time, we sort of look to get involved, often, just now it's just human nature, we might say, often we'll look for PLUs. Do you know what PLUs are? Someone say, people, people like, oh, you know what PLUs are? People like us. It's natural. We'll, we'll, we'll kind of hang around the edges, have a look around. Is there someone who looks like me? Is there someone who I, th I think is sort of very similar? And we'll naturally be drawn to them. It, it's kind of the safe thing to do. They're, they'll be the least threatening. They'll be the most inclusive to, to us personally. So we go for PLUs. But the church, I hope you, you get it from what Paul is saying. The church, has, it may begin... It may begin with a collection of PLUs, but it cannot stay there, or it's not genuinely church. To be honest, you can find, you, you, you can go to places and find PLUs, people like us, anywhere. You can go to Starbucks, or to the pub, or to the bridge shop. There are all sorts of ways around here where you can gather and meet PLUs. And it's great, it's great fun. But it, it doesn't really grow the life of Christ in you or in me. All it does is make, it makes a sort of surface connection. But nothing deep is really going on. Because unity is not uniformity, where we're just all the same. Unity is when we recognize diversity. We recognize and embrace difference. And embracing someone who's different from me, I learn to recognize not just the difference, but the work of God uniting us. Really struck by Professor Gordon Fee, who's a, a New Testament scholar and lecturer at, um, at, uh, in, a, in a college in Vancouver, Regents College in Vancouver. He tells about how he was addressing a conference of several thousand people. And it was, it was a, a, on the, towards the sort of you know, charismatic end of the scale, so that they had some worship before he spoke for quite some time, sort of 20, 30 minutes of worship. And uh, the place was electric. I mean, there were arms up in the air, and there was pe the people sort of lost in wonder, love, and praise, as the hymn writer puts it. And, and, and the, there was this huge sense of anticipation as Gordon Fee took to the, to the podium to speak. And uh, he said, isn't it wonderful when the Spirit of God is clearly in a place and working amongst his people? And uh, so caught up with these people that a number of them said, Amen, hallelujah, that's right, brother, yes, yes. And then Gordon Fee delivered the sucker punch. <laughs> he said, the trouble is, I'm finding it quite hard to tell whether that's the case here. <laughs> quite a thing to say, isn't it? But the point was this. As he looked out over that auditory of thousands and thousands of people, he recognized they were pretty much all the same. They were all in their 20s or 30s. They were all predominantly white. They were all predominantly tertiary educated. They were all the same. And because they were all the same sociologically, it was very hard to tell whether they were united spiritually. If I can pick up New Testament 
idioms. If there had been an auditorium full of Jews and Gentiles, of slave and free, of male and female, of young and old, black and white, and the same sense of excitement, you might have been more sure. It might have been easier to discern this is the Spirit. What else would unite such an eclectic bunch? Let me just be uh, personal and honest for a moment. And I don't mean any... Um, I've served in a number of churches. Um, most of them, actually, where I've been on staff, have been bigger in number than, than this one here. But I say this, and I don't mean to any detriment to the, pre- the churches where I've served, but they've been much more uniform than here. It's, it's been much more uh, the same age group or the same kind of background. And so although there's been an incredibly exciting sense from time to time of the spirit at work, it has been quite hard sometimes to tell, is this spiritual or is it just sociological? Is it just a big collection of PLUs? And what I love about here is that as as we look around, we're, we're very different. We've got lots of little people running around and young families. We've got quite a number of singles uh, who meet uh, in the evening. And we've got older singles. And we've got older people with um, couples with children who've grown up and left. We've got a number of very senior citizens. And I love that. I love the fact, if I may, that Georgina came to the women's breakfast last Saturday. I love the fact that there's a range of ages and stages and experiences all coming together. It makes it far easier to recognize the spirit at work in our diversity, a diversity unifying us. First point, unity is not uniformity. Unity comes as we embrace diversity. Second point, though, is that diversity is not the same as difference. Diversity is not the same as difference. Now, again, as a starting point, it's fine to recognize difference. We come into a church or into a small group, and we think, oh, goodness, these people are different from me. That's fine. In fact, I think I would say, to an extent, that's healthy. A realization of of where I am and where they're at. There's difference. But the key thing to discern is what is the undergirding vitality and intention and movement. You see, I would say it's not so healthy if you encounter two people who say, well, I'm just me, and you're just you, and we're just different, so there we are. If there's no intention to move one towards the other in order to find unity, then I would say that's unhealthy longer term for a body. That's the joy of the church, of serving in the church, unlike just a little collection of PLUs in any of these other gathering points around our green. It is that intention, with God's help and by his spirit, to encounter difference and enable to celebrate it as diversity because we recognize an underlying unity. Another uh, American preacher, a chap called Tim Keller, runs a church in New York. He tells a story of uh, a couple who he was um, pastoring. The the marriage was in a bit of difficulty, and so he was pastoring them. And he saw, in particular, he saw the the, the man in the marriage quite a bit. And, you know, it was one of those sort of duties as a pastor. He just had to to see them. But they were quite hard work. Every time 
in his diary, there's a little appointment to see them in part with sort of sink, and think, oh, I've got to go and see them again. But he did, and a duty, pastoral duty. And about a year later, um, he's a busy man, and not many evenings are free, but they had a free evening. And um, his wife said to him, you know, what, what should we do this evening? How would you like to spend this evening? And uh, Tim Keller says, well, I'd quite like to go and see that couple. And his wife said, what? You want to go and see that? What? Said, Why do you want to go and see them? And Keller said, he sort of recognized that actually the Spirit had been at work in his life. And he recognized that where once it had been duty, now he was embracing spending time with them as delight. His heart had changed. Where there was all sorts of difference, he now recognized that they were united. And he was free to celebrate and embrace their diversity within the context of their mutual love for each other in Christ. Diversity isn't difference. Diversity seeks to embrace unity. Thirdly, finally, connection to the head via the body is vital to every single part. Connection to the head via the body is vital to every single part of the body. If we are to be a vibrant whole, then every single part needs to be attached, vital, energized, envisioned, working, living, active, manifesting the gift of the Spirit, united to Christ via the body. It's vital. Now, just one or two observations on this. Again, I'm, all these uh, illustrations, I'm helped by my wife, who's a physio, and Sarah, who came and spoke earlier, she's a doctor, gave me some of these uh, illustrations. Let me just point this out. It's perfectly possible for a body to live without some of its constituent parts. You could amputate my leg, I'd still live. You could chop off an arm, I'd still live. I mean, my body would be impaired in some way, but my body would still live. But that leg or that arm that you chop off can exist, I mean, it can be used medically, you could transplant it onto someone else within about nine hours. But they say the absolute maximum, apparently, for when they do a heart transplant, the absolute maximum that a heart can be out of its donor and, and uh, before it's transplanted into the recipient is nine hours. And ideally, it's five hours, within five hours. And that's assuming you pack it in ice and look after it and everything. After that, no matter how well you look after a heart or a digit or whatever it is, a limb, after about nine, ten hours, uh, they won't, surgeons won't bother to try and... Uh, graft it back on again. It's, it's too far gone. As individual parts, we need to stay grafted to the head via the body. Get involved. Those of you who are in house groups, I don't, I'm preaching to the converted. You know that. But if you're not in a midweek group or a prayer triplet or hooking up in some meaningful way, I, I, I implore you, consider it. For your sake, and for our sake, for the health of the body. You see, the body can exist with dead parts. Um, my wife treats stroke patients. So uh, people have had a bad stroke, actually half their body is dead. You know, the, the, the one, one side of the body, it just, it just doesn't function. And the body can still exist, but, but how impaired is that body? How much harder work is it to, to walk or to, to, to have a drink, to, to do anything. It, it's so much more hard work on the body that, the, that part of the body that lives. Imagine a stroke patient 
whose body, whole body, comes back to vital life. Imagine how much more effective, how much greater impact that body can have if every part of the body is connected, is vital, is living, is envisioned, and playing its part. That's, that's the vision set before us with this image of the body. I finish with verse 27. You are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Now, to help you, these um, sheets, these yellow sheets, and we're going to give them out. They're available at the back. We're going to give them out next week as well. And I think next week, we'd, I'd love to kind of allow time to take them in because I'd love just for now, though, to give you a moment or two prayerfully to consider as you look through them, are there ways in which you can contribute and offer to play a part in this body here at St. Arnis? I recognize there are many of you who are already playing a massive part. And uh, it, you know that actually you're, you're playing your part, you're living and contributing to the whole. And please, just take these as a, um, uh, well, just an indication of, of all the things that are going on and ways in which others are contributing too. But it may be that you're, you're looking to get more involved. You're looking to embrace God's life in you as you uh, join yourself to his body here. In which case, I'd love to commend these, uh, that you take them away, prayerfully consider them. Look down some of the things, or maybe some of the blank gaps where, you know, other ways you can contribute. But maybe there are others who are not here today, uh, who you know, you're getting to know over coffee and so on, who could play their part in the body of Christ. And take these sheets away, and we'd love to see if we can be even more effective as a diverse but unified whole. Amen. Amen. I'm going to hand over to Rachel. She's going to uh, just take us through to the end of our service. Um, would you like to stand in response to what Tim's um, been talking to us about? And I thought that as we just 